of ingenuity spread across the world, across the species. It is the high calling of every Christian to be, if not the first, at least that hundredth monkey, the one that provides the breakthrough, that shows things can change for the better, that dispels a destructive lie by replacing it with a life-enhancing truth, demonstrating an amazing phenomenon that if enough of us become aware of something, all of us can become aware of it too. Now, what in our world today is the equivalent of the unwashed sweet potato? I believe that it is a bad model for human relations that we could call separatism. We often believe and act towards one another out of a deep-seated feeling of separation. This isn't always a conscious decision. We just feel disconnected, divided, even when we have the infrastructure for coming together. It's like a Pittsburgher who says, uh, I just don't really like going through tunnels or across bridges. We're all connected, but we're afflicted by separatism. Jesus, this morning, is giving us the instructions on how to get our sweet potatoes down to the river and heal our gnawing feeling of isolation and aloneness. It's three words. Love your enemies. Years ago, I heard the great scholar of world religions, Houston Smith, say that Christianity shares many affirmations with several of the world's great religions. Love your neighbor? Yes, you'll see that across the board. Help those in need? Of course. Obey God? Yes. Give alms? Yes. But when it comes to Jesus' command to love your enemies, that's an injunction found solely in the religion of Jesus, said Smith. Now, I want you to think of the most loving thing you could do for the very worst people you know. Think of a real scoundrel, someone who's a real scoundrel to you. Now, picture yourself offering that person a loving hand. See what I mean? When you think like that, it really restores the oddness, even the absurdity of what Jesus is commending in this sermon. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, perhaps we're tempted to say, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I am so nice to other people that I haven't made any enemies. Come on. Be honest. If you've lived in this world very long and if you've been required to interact with very many people, you'll probably have enemies. I would even say that the better person you are and the more you try to live a good and righteous life, the greater the possibility that people will will react against you with enmity. That's often the way the world responds to the very best of people. Look at how the world responded to Jesus. So Jesus tells us to love our enemies, to not refuse those who ask us for financial help, to turn the other cheek when we've been assaulted. And most of us react with, there's no way that I could do that. After all, I'm only human. And it is human, all too human, to plot against our enemies. Or if you're like me, to do everything in your power to avoid them, 
to retaliate when we've been struck, and to be careful about to whom we lend money. For all his faults, Oliver Cromwell in the 17th century understood something very important to understanding this passage. He understood the importance of relationships. When it came time to draw up the rules for war for his newly formed revolutionary religious army, he had to confront the question of what to do with a man who was found with a wound in his back. The answer was, find his comrades and drill them out of the army and out of the church. Why? Because cowardice is more a communal than an individual failing. It's my sincere belief that like Cromwell's soldiers, enemies represent not individual, but communal failures, breakdowns in sacred relationships. This is a way of saying that our enemies don't have to be so personal. If they had been loved better, deeper, more authentically, perhaps they wouldn't be so nettlesome to us. Maybe our enemies are not so much morally villainous, so much as spiritually thirsty. And perhaps we can make the same recognition about ourselves if only we would be given more love. Maybe our little sins and petty frustrations wouldn't be so enduring. Judging an enemy, to my mind, has never gotten anyone very far. Loving enemies is what changes things. And know that it isn't about being nice or permissive, offering yourself up as a doormat. After all, what is the opposite of love? It's not hate, it's fear. To love your enemy, therefore, is to not fear what they can do to you. No person in the 20th century knew this better than the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who said in his sermon on this very text these words, to our most bitter opponents we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us as you will, and we shall continue to love you. Throw us in jail, and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead, and we shall still love you. But be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to love. King knew the secret. To love the enemy is to transcend the fear within yourself and to gain that clear-eyed vision called love. It's to see through the lie of separatism and to see how we and our enemies have been woven into one garment of destiny as children of God. An enemy doesn't need moral correcting, they need love, and so do we. And as they present themselves to us, we can see them as an invitation to transcend our own fear, to grow in love. And lest you think I'm recommending a kind of moralism here, let me remind you that the one who said love your enemies did and died doing just that. And he did that not because he was defeated, but so that he could defeat death. Death, humanity's oldest and worst enemy. 
death, the reason there's so much fear in the world. He conquered it and empowered his followers to live his life and to love with his love and to display that abounding love in the world, a love that allows you to love those that you don't like, to have compassion on those whom, you, whom seem like hopeless cases, and most of all, to find that you and your enemy share one precious thing in common. You are both loved immeasurably by God.